This is Kate Beckinsale. You're listening to Beckinsale. Kent sings something mildly clever that relates to the theme of the current episode. <laughs> Meanwhile, Zach and Joel mildly laugh while wondering what tune he is trying to sing. <laughs> Kent finished the song in two takes, but he finishes strong as he welcomes the listener to Bacon Cell. <laughs> yes! You didn't see this. Listen, you didn't see this, but Kent literally has cards <laughs> that he's holding up with his writing on it. Everything he just we read. To, to. And, and I wasn't going to read it and just show you guys the cards. <laughs> But that's not okay on an audio <laughs> podcast. It's probably not. But welcome to Big These are collector's Cell. items now, by the way. Uh, yeah, yeah. Post them on post, uh, Patreon. <laughs> sure. Uh, welcome to Big Cell. I'm Joel. I'm Kent. I'm Zach. We'd like to thank you for listening to our last show, our spooky, scary story oh, time I miss you, episode. October. Aww. Yeah, October's over, guys. Oh, no. The lights, the lights <laughs> are like, on. Yay. Hold the lights on. are on in the baking cave. We're talking about normal stuff again. Boo. Though I snuck in a little bit of horror here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would... Uh, Appreciate. What was that laugh? <laughs> I appreciate all the comments that came in last week, including from Todd Callen, who said, so glad you guys did this again. Hopefully we don't have to wait four more years. Four more one. years. Four more years. My favorite part was Joel's impressions of Zach and Kent. Spot on, if I said. <laughs> yeah, it was great. <laughs> yeah, can I agree? <laughs> okay. I'm sorry about the name. Kristen Freemuth? Uh, I'm sorry. If I wow, yeah. Um, yep. uh, Got to turn all the lights on just to look at this graphic. Good job yeah. on the image, yeah, Kent. Thank you. Very nice. Mary Nolan Cox says, thanks for the mention and mockery. Boys, happy Halloween. Hashtag car creepers. Yeah, yeah if you don't take see, naps in po- cars. We posted on social media the picture that she sent us uh, of, of yeah. the handprints yeah, on really our car windows. And then uh, at Crew Dutler said, update. Brecken has been talking like totally 80s Burger King kid Kent <laughs> since listening to the episode. Thanks, Joel. Joel's fault. Radical. Whoa. <laughs> but not British Zach? Mm. No. Oh. Mm. Yeah. So thank you for participating. Uh, thank you for sending in stories. If you haven't already, check out patreon.com where there is an extended version of the show as well. Yeah. You got like a half hour more of stories. But I also want to mention, uh, speaking of extra perks that come from being patrons. Indeed. <laughs> We are going to be doing Bacon Sale Night at Quick Wits. Oh, it's Quick about time. Wits, yes, it's been a while night. since we did it. We're going to try it again. So on November 18th in Midvale. In 2022, at, if you're listening to the future. Yes, yes, yes. November 18th, 2022, this 10 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. Yes. Uh, in Midvale at 10 o'clock, we are going to be doing Bacon Sale Quick Wits Night, which means you get to come watch a Quick Wits show with other people at Bacon Sale. If you are a fan of Bacon Sale, if you're listening to this episode and you say, hey, I kind of like those guys. Let them know you're a fan of Bacon Cell at the door, and they will give you two-for-one tickets. Yeah. And then if you are a Bacon Council member of from you know on Patreon, you will get into this show for free. So I'm, I'm going to pitch this a little bit because I've gone to the last two as you know just a listener, mm-hmm. as as one right. of as a friend, one of the you know that's, sure that's true as someone that we were eyeing to take over. It's, it's fine. fine. Uh, Joel, he'll play as they yes, say. I'm, I He's one of, every... one of one of the players. Yes, uh, and if you've ever watched Two's Line, is it anyway? It's like that, but less mm-hmm. you know contrived. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but so it's Joel playing, and then maybe possibly you might see an appearance of Kent and possibly myself. As a prop or we something. We may pull them up on stage for a game or two. You know, just because the audience likes seeing them too. They don't, they, don't, they don't come to just see I, me. I want to make a request though for anyone coming to see us and just say hi. Come say hi and then say your name because I always get so nervous because there's a lot of people wearing bacon cell shirts and I'm like, I know them. I've seen them before. 
And so just introduce yourself yes. to me, and then I'll probably know Please. and be like, oh, we've talked Please. on Facebook or Instagram. We, we yes, but don't make eye contact with Zach. <laughs> no, I'll bite. Um, we use this as an opportunity to, you know, to, to meet people, yeah. uh, to, you know, place, or, you know, names with faces yes. and all that. So And definitely don't be nervous because it's come us. Say hi. And come um, enjoy a good show. It'll be, it'll truly. be fun. Should be fun. I hope. I, I, I always get nervous. <laughs> Here's the thing. I always get nervous. I have a, I have a superstition about yeah. inviting people to come yeah. see my shows, like personally, because I just feel like in the past when I've done that, it's been in, uh, like a B or a C range show. A B is good. I, C's get degrees. I once attended uh, Quick Wits Night. Joel was playing that night. And Joel made a joke that to this day I laugh about. And I was crying <laughs> on the night. Was. I was laughing so hard. So because of the, uh, John yeah. Elephant, John, <laughs> the invention of the elephant. <laughs> the invention of the elephant by John Elephant. Anyway, I guess he had to be there. Inside jokes and bacon sell. <laughs> it's a good time. So please join us on November eighteenth, ten p.m. Yes, twenty twenty two. Twenty twenty two. Or in the future, maybe. Sure, you, you, you can come machine. to Quick sure. anytime. Why not? But that's not what we're talking about today. What are we talking about today, Zach? Zach, Zach. You don't have I cards. Was, uh, oh, Zach, no. You don't have this cards. is an audio medium. We're talking about silent movies. Silent movies? Yeah. Wow. Can I set the stage for you? Yeah, let's go for it. The year was 2022. Hold on. It needs to be grainy. Film. Oh, no. Here we, go. Here we go. was We're... January. Oh, stop. Oh, oh. Boom, boom. Is hey, the bus Zach, coming by? This could be a silent is guilt a trip. Bus? I'd rather it be a really quiet <laughs> guilt trip. I just want to point out that back in, uh, well, let's see, that was, I, I can get the exact date here if you guys give me a second here. He's yeah. like a judgy mom. January 6th, <laughs> 2022, at 10.22 a.m., oh. I wrote, hello, gentlemen, here is the silent silent movie sampler platter I would like to try, I would like you to try for the upcoming episode of Bacon Cell. Upcoming. Yes. So in the future, there are many low quality versions available out there. So I provided links and references so that we could all watch the same version of these films. Here they are in chronological order, and I listed ten movies. Yeah, it's pretty easy. Chronological right? order with links after them, so you click on them and immediately watch them. Uh-huh. And I said, any questions? Let me know, Joel. That was in January. Sure. It's November. <laughs> you said upcoming show. It is. I said upcoming show. Yeah, November up. feels right, but then. <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll, I've seen all these movies before because I am a fan of silent film and I wanted these guys to be able to be exposed yeah. to it. I wanted to expose the listener to it. I thought this could be a fun episode. We, we can watch these. They're all pretty short. We can crank this out in no time. Uh-huh. And I remember okay. uh-huh. specifically in September. Uh-huh. You know I'm just going to cut this out of the show, Joel. <laughs> it's fine. I was, but I was, I was the whole, like, I didn't pester you guys too much the whole year, but I kept being like, we can always do the silent show. And then we literally got to the end of September. And we're yeah. like, okay. We, we can either eat 50 ice creams <laughs> or watch seven silent movies. Yeah. And you guys are like, ice creams. <laughs> I'm going to eat seven ice okay, creams okay. per day. You can, every watch, day week. you can watch hour and a half movies that don't say anything. And hour your and a half? Wow. Mo- One of these is 45 minutes. Yeah. It's true. Or you could eat ice cream. Yeah, so sue me. I want, I want to eat ice cream. And Zach watching can't even handle his dear old movie. You didn't even enjoy it. Your yeah, gut you're, was you're telling you. I would rather uh, have my gut blown up than okay. watch a hundred year old so, movie. So, so thank you for the guilt trip. We know, but we made it. We, we made it. We're and doing thank you the show that. now. Yes. Can I, I can I tell you why it's such a difficult genre for me? I did give you some stipulations. Yes. I told you when you watched mm-hmm. that you could not have any distractions because silent movies are not like regular movies where you can kind of be on your phone or be on the computer or editing a show. Or right. Holding a and, newborn. Uh, you could hold a newborn and watch a silent movie. Sleep. Yeah, but you you can't do that with silent movies because there's no dialogue, so you miss a lot of what's happening. 
I also asked you guys to to watch them with an open heart and a and an open mind. Uh-huh. I may have cried as I pleaded with you guys to watch these movies. And a year later, we finally did. <laughs> no, my issue is is I think streaming has killed the way we view movies and TV shows because generally, when I give people homework, as you do, mm-hmm. you say, "Okay, this is a two and a half hour movie. Turn off your phone. Pay full attention to the screen." But yet, uh, the most of the shows I watch are background shows when I'm doing work or or stuff for the show itself. Mm. And so it's rare unless I go to the theater to give my full attention to the screen. And these movies... And it's hard. It is. I, I totally agree because these movies are... They were made to be watched in the theater with a captive audience. Yes. And when you're watching at home, I do the same thing. I'm like, what's that actor in? Look it up on IMDb. Oh, and then and five minutes has passed and... You and all missed, of a sudden they're like, wait, where are they? You just heard old-timey music. You have no idea what's going on. Yeah. A wall fell on somebody. Yes. So you have to... You do have to pay full attention to these to really, truly appreciate them. Yeah. And it's hard for me too. I did the same thing where I was like, I had to do a couple times where I'm like, oh, I had started looking up who this person was. And I missed the whole thing. I got to go back now. Right. And because sometimes there will be, do they call them title cards? Yes. I guess we'll get into uh, this. Yeah. Those title cards will come up so rarely that you'll be like, okay, there's some speech I should probably pay attention. Sometimes they're a little bit more frequent, but silent movies are just telling the story visually. Yes. Without you hearing what's going on as you're on your computer, or whatever. I feel like there is a time and a place to watch these. And I feel like that is probably with a significant other when you're maybe cuddling or something like that, when you're not tempted to get on your phone or get on Facebook or Twitter or well, whatever. Do you know who is a great audience for mm. silent movies? Kids. Kids. Yeah. You're watching this as a family. It is amazing. My kids were like, ah, it's black and white and silent. I don't know if I'm going to... Hey, this is kind of funny. Yeah. Um, inter- I watched a few of these with my kids, actually. Intertitles, by the way. Yes. Called. So okay. um, I didn't... I wasn't able to watch any of these with my kids, but I did just actually this evening, I showed a sort of supercut of some Buster Keaton clips mm-hmm. to my seven-year-old, and he was beside himself laughing. It's cool. He thought it was awesome. Very. <laughs> you can see the influence of, of these silent movies in things like Looney Tunes, where it's most of it is music. There is definitely dialogue in Looney Tunes, and a lot of it's mm-hmm. funny, but it really is kind of the physical humor and you know just these little jokes, and even they hold up some uh, intertitle cards as well. But you can also see it in like Mr. Bean. Mr. Bean right. is not, it's not silent per se. There's, they, you know, there's laugh tracks and some talking, but it does borrow heavily from the silent totally. filmmaking genre. Now, they call them silent movies, but that is kind of a misnomer because these movies, I would not recommend watching any of them without sound. No. I've tried to watch uh, some of these movies without sound because it was a bad copy, sure. a bad edit. And sometimes they put a different score than it was originally released with. Yes. Yeah. And sometimes that I, messes which, with it. In one of these movies, I thought that they did because I heard a Disney song. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, in one of them we watched, there's an Alfred, Alfred Hitchcock Presents, mm-hmm. but it's the funeral of a marionette. It's that song, but it's yeah. just weird to hear that in another thing and be like, hey, wait a minute. Yeah. But they, they almost always, these films when they played were almost always accompanied with live sounds. Either there was going to be an an organist or a pianist in the theater who would play, or a small orchestra who would play along with the film. They would get this sheet music that would go, so you get the movie in the canister, you get the sheet music goes with it, and they would play along so you get emotion with it. The bougier theaters would also incorporate like violins yeah. and stuff, but, which is actually seen in one of the movies that we're going to talk about today. Yeah, and if, but if you go, I was going to say, like on Wikipedia on some of these, they have like the whole movie on Wikipedia. Really? But, yeah, okay. you, just, you go to Wikipedia page, it's right there, you click play, but there's um, no sound. Oh, that's too bad. And that's why I don't... Honestly, most of the ones you sent us were on YouTube, because a lot yes. of these, they're just, they're just out there, public domain. Mm-hmm. A lot of them are, uh, the copyright expired, and they're public domain, and that's good, because you can find it readily, but it's also bad, because there are so many poor quality versions out there. Yeah. With a bad soundtrack, no soundtrack, grainy footage... Uh, some people, some people like on YouTube don't even upload the whole movie. Like it cuts off midway through and I'm like, you jerks. Ugh. 
So, yeah. But I, I did want to point out, uh, it, during the silent era, because we were talking about music, during the silent era, movies were the single largest source of employment for instrumental musicians. Really? That was how they got their... Wow, that's cool. Because that's what they did. And then as they got you know further along, they didn't need them anymore. It actually caused a big issue for a lot of musicians. They're like, what am I, I doing with my life now? Also, uh, a lot of these films are lost. Some statistics say up to 80% of silent films are lost because they use nitrate film, which was extremely unstable and flammable. Right. Yeah. And, and a lot of times movie theaters, uh, filmmakers, would just dis- it d- intentionally destroy the films because they're like, well, after they've been shown, there's no use in keeping this around. So they How destroy sad. It. Yeah. So like 75 or 80% of movies are probably lost and gone. Wow. Okay. But people, I, I get it, guys. People are not a fan of silent movies because it is old. It's Some of these so movies we talked about old. today are literally over 100 years old. Yeah, and you know my feelings when we did the Oscar show, when we watched every Best Picture anything movie. before 1980 was like dinosaurs. No, truly. I didn't like really anything from the 30s. And so when yeah. you're like, hey, watch every movie from the 20s, I was like, <laughs> no, so, I yeah. hate that idea. Every movie is from the 20s except for one. I was very reluctant to even want to do this challenge, obviously. Yeah. But here we are. But in the, in the silent film, silent film era really does run from about 1890 to like the late 1820s. That's, okay. that's the era of silent film. And during that time, you have to realize a lot of people complain about the acting in silent films because mm-hmm. the big gestures, yeah. big faces. The super hammy. Everything. They're very melodramatic. But it's because these people were coming from stage plays. And Zach, being a performer on stage, you know yeah. that when you perform on stage, you have to perform to the back row. Oh, yeah. So big, broad gestures. And that's what they yeah. knew. This This new Hollywood filmmaking was so brand new to them. They didn't know how to act in front of a camera. Totally. And so it gets a little hokey at times, but I've told people that watching a silent movie is much like visiting a foreign country. The customs are going to seem strange. Things are going to be out of the ordinary, but you just kind of have to go, that's the way things were then, or that's the way things are. And that's okay. Yeah. And kind of break down that barrier of like, this isn't normal. Why are they acting like that? But also a lot of filmmakers that we're going to be talking about, you have to give credit to the silent era because during that mm-hmm. time when they were figuring out how to act, they were also figuring out how to tell a story. Yeah. And things like wide shot, medium shot, close up, that came from the silent era or panning, uh, right. dollies, the way they edited films. There were so many stunt important things. Stunt work. Stunt work was insane Holy back stunt then. Work. And that's one of the reasons I like to show people these movies because every single time someone on camera does something crazy, I'm always like, that. Is the real person doing that? There's that no CGI there. Is why OSHA laws exist. Yeah. Yes. And also the extras they used to have, because now you just have CG people in movies. Yes. And some of these movies, based on what I saw on Wikipedia, had about 2,500 extras on set. Yeah. Insane. And they're paying all of them. And they're probably uh, local townspeople or vagrants that are yeah. given one day of work. A lot of people in poverty in these movies. Yeah. Because this, I mean, this obviously is yeah. right around the Roaring Twenties going into the Depression era. I noticed a lot of tropes in these movies, and obviously they're the more famous filmmakers of the time, which we'll get into. But there's a lot of, like, lovable losers. I yes. feel like a lot of these movies relied on the underdog. Mm-hmm. And the underdog rarely ever won either. And I kind of wonder if, because it's the 20s, and I think these movies are probably generally meant for people in America, except for one yeah. of them specifically. There's, there's, yeah, this, there's this is how America, people but. felt at that time. Like, they were just always trying to climb uphill. And always yeah. struggling. Well, and, and there's just little things that I love seeing in these movies, too, of just the era of the time. Like, mm-hmm. you know, going to a, din- a dinner club and seeing everyone in tuxes and tails. Right. And even the tramp, uh, yes. a, a character created by Charlie Chaplin, he's dressed in like a tuxedo, basically. 
Yeah, it's like a hobo tuxedo a yeah. little bit for him. Yeah. And you just see all these different things, that, you know, the way they travel, the way they talk, the way they, you know, just communicate with each other mm-hmm. uh, on telephones or whatever. It's just so interesting to me. Relationships. This, this, yeah. This time capsule of what the 20s were like, because much like now they make films for that era and you get to kind of see what it was like. Uh, one complaint people have, too, is that, oh, they're all black and white movies. They're, mm-hmm. they're just black and white. And a lot of people don't like the black and white movies. I actually find black and white very beautiful. Yeah. Uh, I know I sound like such an old person. I'm not that much older than you no, guys. Here's the thing you're teaching us but I am, in order to appreciate something. But I'm definitely the one here in the room who watches the older movies and enjoys them. Gather yeah. around, children. <laughs> Let me tell you the story. Old man Joe. Uh, but a lot of silent movies actually were colored, like probably around, I don't know, two-thirds of them were, were really? colored. Not in the way maybe that you think of, but like they used, they would dip the whole film into colors. So like blue would portray night or yellow would portray day. Or like in in one movie they had, uh, the city was on fire, so they dyed the whole thing red. Yeah. And it really adds this kind of new element to the film. And they did use some technicolor and and cinema color, kinema color. I can't remember how to say it, but as well. Well, uh, there's one, um, we we don't talk about it here. It's a short, uh, it's from 1902. It's called Journey to the Moon. Yes. Yes. Um, That was like, they they took every frame and hand painted color into it, mm-hmm. uh, so it was you know super early color film. Yeah, well, in fact, I, I don't know exactly how to say this except for there were more uh, colored silent films like than talkie films. At oh, first. okay. Like in the 30s when they started getting sound That's synchronized true. with the films, yeah, they realized that it, the dyes they were using didn't work with the built-in recorded sound, like kind of messed with the sound. So that's why you have kind of these color films in the in the twenties and then the thirties. It just took through a break. the forties. It's like yeah, you're black right. and white. I didn't think about that. Didn't work about with it, huh? I, I have just real quick, just a couple other facts I want to talk about. Uh, we talked about the inner titles. I thought uh, people think that like every single line needs to be heard is or they, spoken. Yeah, that people think about silent movies. They're like, oh yeah, every line I'm gonna have to watch like a title card put up, and it's not. But there's so often in these movies, and especially in the movies you chose, where there's a, an argument happening, mm-hmm. you don't need to know what's being said. No. Other than someone wants to choke someone, yeah. and someone is arguing back. So you get like a line or two to get what, this, what the scene's about, but yes. then it's mostly just gestures and, and expressions. Exactly. So uh, the, by the way, I have here the top 10 grossing silent films in the United States. With the amount that they made? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'll just go here. Number 10, Hunchback of Notre Dame, 1923. All right. Uh, classic pre-universal horror classic. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Covered Wagon, 1923. The Circus, it's a Charlie Chaplin movie. The Gold Rush, it's a Charlie Chaplin movie. City Lights, a Charlie Chaplin movie. Way Down East by D.W. Griffith, who he he's very, very famous back then. Uh, the Kid, Charlie Chaplin. Ben-Hur, before the, yes. the Ben-Hur that we know from right. the 50s, I believe it is. There was a 1925 version of Ben-Hur. A movie called The Big Parade is number two. And then number one is The Birth of a Nation by D.W. Uh, Griffith with $10 million. Okay. And this brings me to my hatred of silent films. Oh, really? Birth yeah. Of a this, is, this is college. And I don't know if you watched this in college class as I well. I didn't watch this one. I watched another one of his. Intolerance? Yes. Okay. Much better. Still three hours long. long. Yeah. So I watched uh, Birth of a Nation in class. And I don't want to get too much into it, but it is heavily inappropriate. And most of these movies will be with our modern day goggles. But Wow. Yeah. This is something else. And I, it, it is is celebrated as a film and changing films. I think my review said it's a well-made film on the wrong side of history. Yeah. Like, is what he did technically to make that film was amazing. Yeah, he's a talented guy, but, but his holy ideals... holy cow, that, that movie, the second half of that movie right. is... And, and it was three hours long, and it really did burn me on silent movies up until this challenge. Which I wanted to go a little softball on you guys in this. I didn't want to, I didn't want to overwhelm you with it. 
I gave you six comedies because silent comedies are my favorite genre of silent <laughs> and it, movie. It feels like what I think of when yeah. I think of silent films. And a lot of people yeah. think like little shorts, and there are plenty of silent shorts. Right. Like you see those things of like in, in the in the movies nowadays when they show people back then, they're like, all right, we're going to make a picture. It's going to be five minutes, then we're going to make another picture. And they're yep. winding the camera around. Uh, but these are feature-length films for the most yes. part. But thank you for not giving us Breath of a Nation. Thank yeah, you. yeah. But six he kind of did with one of these. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I've never rooted for the South in a movie. Lengthwise, you'll see. We'll oh, talk. Yeah. We'll get there. Yeah, both. We'll talk about both of those. So six comedies, two horrors. So I am going to sneak a little bit of horror into this episode. Yeah. One drama and one science fiction movie. All right. So Joel, obviously, Zach and I are going to be able to give our notes, and I've got some fun facts about each of these movies. As but do I. we're going to go chronologically. Is that yeah. what we'd like to do? Yeah, we'll start with the early 1921 film, and let's go to 1931. Okay. So ten years of, mo- of silent movies, and these, like I said, some of these are 100 years old, and yet I still think they hold up today. I should also clarify the list I gave you guys was based on a list I made back in 2008 of what I consider to be the greatest silent films. So these are my personal favorites. So what you're saying is, listener, Joel is urging you to listen to what we have to say about these movies and see if they're worth your time. Yes. I'm, these I'm, are what you'd recommend. What I'm saying is I'm putting my heart on the table. Please don't stomp on it, Kent. Or Zach. <laughs> okay. Zach doesn't stomp much, but... No, but I want you guys to give your, your valid opinion because, sure. like I said, I have a passion for these films. These are the ones... I, I'm calling this the silent movie sampler platter because these are the movies I put out there of like, hey, give these a shot and see if you like silent film. Give it a shot. All right, our first movie is The Kid from 1921. So not the one with Bruce Willis. Because not no, Disney's definitely The not. Kid. Okay, not that yes. one. The Tramp cares for an abandoned child, but events put their relationship in jeopardy. They do use some different words back then, because The Tramp has a much different meaning now than it did back then. Yeah. But now it's just like hobo. Yeah, like he's, a, he's yeah. a vagabond. Led yes. the lady in the tramp usage of tramp. Yes. This, uh, directed by Charles Chaplin, written by Charles Chaplin, uh, Sir produced Charles Chaplin. by Sir Charles Chaplin, starring yeah. Sir Charles he Chaplin. He did a lot of it. A lot of these Score stuff. written by Charles Chaplin. Yeah. And also stars Jackie Coogan, a uh, little, little boy. Know as Fester. Uncle, Uncle Fester. Fester from Adam's from family. The, from the Black and White Adam's family. <laughs> and he is so adorable in this movie. Really? This came out in 1921, and you can watch it on Amazon for free. Well, for free. You know how that works. On Amazon Prime, HBO Max, the Roku channel, and YouTube. I'm going to say that after every one of these because you can find most of these on YouTube. All right. To give like a a picture of how Charlie Chaplin made movies, it feels like he is almost the Disney of his time because he got budgets for his movies Mm -hmm. and he got a lot of... This one um, had $250,000 budget. Insane. That's 1921 money. Sure. What do they make? Maybe $2 million after that? Maybe? Uh, They made $5 million on this one. Okay. $5.4 million. But... Charlie Chaplin was such, he's kind of like a David Fincher. He's such a perfectionist that he shoots things maybe 40, 50 times. Yes. Each scene. And it ends up costing the filmmakers so much more. But the shots that, I mean, when he does things right, I don't love all of his films, obviously. We'll talk about that. But there are some things he does that are so clever. And I think the cinematographer of this one, 1921, this is pretty early on in this. Well, for me, watching movies in this genre. But like, for example, he's like walking this alley and there's like a wide shot. And then you see this baby wrapped in a blanket in this alley. Mm-hmm. And he looks at it and he kind of looks away. And, and you're just like, wait, wait, there's a baby right there. And he picks it up and he tries to give it to someone. And there's so much cleverness, even with just the shots. Yeah. There, there didn't even need to be that too many intertitle cards on this one. No. You can't get the point of it. Yeah. Kind of tragically. I don't want to start off the show with this, but I'll bring it up anyway. Okay, go on. Charlie Chaplin always seems to have some major trauma happen whenever he's making a film. Mm-hmm. 
In this one, his infant son actually died like 10 days before they began production. And he Ooh. was getting, going through a divorce. He went through a couple of those. Yeah, he yes. did. But uh, he, they say that's one of the reasons his relationship, they say that his relationship with the, with the little boy, Jackie Coogan, they just hung out all the time. They mm-hmm. go get ice cream and on set they were just buddy-buddy and they said the bonding was real. And you, I think you can see that on screen, yeah, how much can. they actually enjoy being around each other. And Jackie Coogan is so, like as a child actor, there's a part when he's like holding out his arms and like crying for his, for Charlie Chaplin. Yeah. And it broke my heart. Like it just, he does a very good job. This is one of those where it doesn't have too many memorable scenes that you'd see in like, like clips, for example, silent movies, but it is more the chemistry that those two have. Mm-hmm. As characters that I think really works. Well, you, it doesn't stand out to you that a five-year-old boy is making a, a big old stack of flapjacks on a cast iron skillet <laughs> with an open flame, <laughs> and then he pours a bunch of syrup on his plate and just eats the syrup. It sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah, <no. laughs> and in this scene, so so again, this five-year-old makes a big. Uh, you, you have to call him flapjacks. I don't know why. Yeah, back then uh, the time back then they were flapjacks. So he makes this. We're gonna gi- be talking old timey this whole episode. Yeah, he makes a giant stack of them, and then like they go to sit down to eat. And they like the the tramp we'll call him uh, Charlie Chaplin like yeah if you don't if you don't know uh, picture I mean you've probably the, seen it the, the toothbrush makeup, mustache yeah little toothbrush mustache Thick little bowler hat eyebrows yeah and then like a, a cane and the baggy clothes guy liner and the long sh- flat shoes sticking out almost clown like yes um, so so they sit down to to uh, breakfast and they split up the flapjacks. And then he specifically, you know, the tramp specifically counts like, oh, I, I need to make these even between me and a five-year-old child. Yeah. They, I'm like, that kid, he's at best eating three quarters of one and not finishing the rest. <laughs> a little animosity towards your kids. Then, kids Is that what's going on? Then. You're mad at your kids? Yeah. You don't eat anything. Three more bites, kids. <clears throat> yeah. And he, th- this was his first uh, major directed film. This is his first Feature-length film as a director. He did a good job. He borrowed $500,000 from, from an, an Italian, Italian bank. bank. A.K.A. the Mafia. <laughs> uh, probably. Yeah. And then it took him five and a half months to shoot the film, which was... That's a really, long time I mean, for these. We don't think this about that. This is an hour and eight minutes. Yeah. We, we don't think about that. This, like nowadays, five and a half months, that's pretty standard for right. films. But back then, it was like they were cranking yeah. out motion pictures well, you, every five days. Well, you mentioned the him shooting a lot. So the, uh, the ratio on this one is 53 to 1. Wow. 53 times the footage, you know, that was needed. Yeah. He went a little overboard. Yeah. Well, and some of that footage, like Zach said, he was going through a divorce at this time with his first wife, Mildred Harris, and she was trying to attach all of his assets to the divorce and get them. Okay. So they actually smuggled the negatives for this movie to Salt Lake City. Hey. What? In coffee cans and edited the film in a room at the Hotel Utah, otherwise known as the Joe Smith Memorial Building now. Wow. Really? That's where this film was edited, was in Utah. Okay. Utah Connection. Uh, he's got a trope that he uses in all of his movies. He hates, and they're kind of the villain of each movie, authority figures or cops. Yep. Cops are kind of bumbling. Does he hate cops? Charlie I, Chaplin. I don't know if he does. But because every single one of his movies, the cops always have like a bone to pick with him. And he's just doing his thing. But he's the tramp. It's a natural antagonist yeah. for, a ho- for a hobo. Well, yeah. But I was reading something that said that the setting of this movie, uh, kind of a slummy Yes. area is more or less autobiographical. He did mm-hmm. not grow up in the best of circumstances. Um, also, keep in mind when you're watching this, and this, some of my notes were, uh, what just happened? Did this just become biblical? Because all of a sudden it goes to this weird fantasy sequence. <laughs> there was always, yeah. almost always a dream and There's sequence. always a, almost a dream in Charlie Chaplin movies. Yeah, and, and it was like 15 minutes long until it's not. The yeah. movie is, is pretty well wrapped up story-wise. Yes. You're like, I see where this is going. And he's sad. And then there's a big slapstick sequence with angel's wings yeah and flying and, and all that yeah yeah 
So what do you guys think of this movie? I, I, honest opinions, like I said, I, I, I can take criticism. Kent? Impressive. Impressive. I liked it. Yeah. Okay. I genuinely enjoyed this yes. movie. This is one I definitely remember. Well, thank you, first of all. This is one I recommend watching with kids. There's something about the little kid. connect. It connects with younger yeah. audiences. And the kid's cute. Um, him running around, smashing glass so the tramp can come in and replace the glass. Yeah, that really, was great. Really funny. Um, but just, you know, his interactions, that um, the genuine nature of their relationship. Yeah. When he's getting taken away, that I, I oh, really yeah. was feeling Listen. things. The kid walked so curly Sue could run. Really? Yeah. So, um, no, it's actually, it's absolutely endearing. There weren't the stunts in this movie that I expect from him, no. but there was the slapstick. Yes. But yeah, it was the chemistry between he and the kid. Yeah. Now, yeah. I, I will Pretty warn, great. Here's a, a parent's guide. Entry. Oh, thank just, you. Just, oh, just please. So you guys know. Yes. Toward the second half of the film, it does get fairly emotional and intense. Mm-hmm. That's the that's kid. True. Yeah. Did I win the parent's says. guide game? Yes, that's the kid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the kid. Cards on the table here. Almost every movie that I get, every movie they gave you guys, not almost every movie, every movie they gave you guys out of the 10 for me was four stars out of five stars. Another one that's going to be important to talk about is 1922's Nosferatu. Vampire Count Orlock expresses interest in a new residence and a real estate agent. <laughs> Hold on. And real yeah. estate agent Hutter's wife. Yes. Yeah. Wait, that description is the worst. No, it's so true. say realtor because he's not licensed. Is that what you're getting after? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everyone's a it realtor these days. All, it is all about real estate. Can I, can, no, I, this, 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 can I give the real synopsis? Yeah, please do. Dracula ripoff. Yeah. This L- is absolutely. They couldn't get the rights to Dracula. They couldn't. They, they tried to get the rights but to Bram Stoker's Dracula. But then they made a scarier Dracula. And then they gave us this. Well, they, they were sued uh, and they lost. And almost every copy of this movie was destroyed. This was almost completely gone wow. from history. And uh, so this came out in 1922. F.W. Murnau was the director. Uh, he's German. And then Max Schreck played Count Orlock. So who good. Who is this? You, you've probably seen it. If you've watched SpongeBob, SpongeBob you've probably seen it because it popped up a couple times. That's true. But it's this bald, pointy-eared, long, the, like spiky finger. The vampire. iconic scene is you just see a shadow, the silhouette of him creepily walking up, up the, the stairs. stairs. Yeah. I think also there's um, he, you know, he uh, Hut Hutter. Is his name? Yeah. Opens a realtor. door. He's a, he's the, a realtor. The realtor. The realtor. Proper realtor. Um, open, he's looking around this little castle. He opens a door and he sees the the vampire way, you know, way in the distance and he like slowly approaches an open yeah. door. That's I think that's what you yeah. see in Spongebob. Or him even coming up out of the grave. You see that a lot. Yeah. Um, you know, Hutter uh, stumbling up the stairs awkwardly after seeing him in a coffin in the daytime. Yeah. Uh, there's some some iconic imagery there is here i mean uh, this is in my phase one of horror movie training i mm-hmm. show this to the kids because it's it's scary for kids yeah because there's some creepy imagery happening there uh but it's not overly gory there's it's not violent at all you don't really see anything happen but it's just got that creepy vibe to it uh, you guys vampire what happened to vampires in daylight generally speaking yeah this they burn up <laughs> okay zach <laughs> you're off the show <laughs> that's because of this movie in, Dra- in Bram Stoker's Dracula, he's just uncomfortable. He's weakened by the sunlight. Oh, but he's... But in oh. this movie, the, the vampire is killed by sunlight, and that became the new uh, folklore. Um, in a general sense, uh, women characters are not well represented in most of these movies. <laughs> you don't think so? No. Uh, uh, no, they're, they're quite I headstrong. Mean, including this Very one. Very headstrong. The, the, the woman, uh, the, the girlfriend in this, the wife or whatever, um, she's terrible until she saves the day. <laughs> like she's awful and then yeah. she fixes everything yeah it's yeah. great uh this movie was banned in sweden due to excessive horror until 1972 then they lifted the ban so this and nosferatu is only on the screen for about nine minutes yeah. of the whole entire film and this film so, is 
Uh, it's an hour 35. Yeah. 63 it's, to 94 minutes. Depending it's on the a little too long. You think so? Because there's some real terror here, but I feel like it stretches it out and it kind of wants to be the cabinet of Dr. Caligari, which is another silent film. It's a good a, a, another expressionism film. I like that one. And uh, I think it's trying to borrow from the style and it pulls it off. But I think if just to be a little bit tighter could have cut 15, 20 minutes for me. Well, yeah. And you may hear the term German expressionism yes. sometimes when you when you see these uh, films, these silent films. And what that just means is that the sets and the lighting represent and the camera and sometimes the angle of represent the camera, yeah. emotions. Yes. So if it's like in a creepy part, there's going to be like, you know, oddly shaped sets and creepy lighting and the camera's going to be tilted slightly. Yeah. yeah. Just to express the feeling. But as a ripoff movie. Wow. What yeah. they pulled off and to still be memorable now, whereas uh, Robert Eggers is going to make a Nosferatu movie next year. I read that. Yeah. With Bill Skarsgård. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Count Orlock. Right. And Lily Rose Depp as the very excited. Female. That's cool. So um, from the parents guide, mm-hmm. uh, please. A, a man accidentally cuts his finger with a knife. Some mild blood is shown. Nosferatu. He's, he's oh he got it can't got it yeah. he is in those too. he yeah this is a, a scene in which uh, the most awkward cutting of bread I've ever seen in my life occurs <laughs> just so he can cut his thumb in front of <laughs> we don't so know true. we don't know he's a vampire yet also and then he sucks his finger oh. and he sucks his finger and it's really strange it's kind of yeah. like that one scene in that one James Bond movie anyway yeah uh, also there's a secondary character in here he's the one who sends Hutter yes he's like the real estate yes maybe he's the realtor um, who's you see him and you're like the absolute first time you see him, you go, oh, he's a vampire. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's absolutely. Like, it's, it's one of those things, um, I think, in all of these silent movies, um, especially, uh, we'll talk about when we get into the Buster Keaton movies, but everybody in this these universes operates as if there's also no sound. Yeah. <laughs> all the time. Like, yeah. the, well, there's no sound, so obviously they can't hear in this universe either. Um, also, there's just clear, willing suspension of disbelief from all the characters as well. Right. They're like, oh, he looks like a vampire, but nah, he's probably a normal guy. Yeah, surprise <laughs> all the time. So you guys know I'm not huge on horror movies. Yes. Um, as far as this one goes, um, I'm sorry, Joe. I hated <gasps> this movie. You hated Nosferatu? I even with all the great it. shots. Though there the is... creepy vampire. Admittedly, there is some really iconic imagery here, and this is five minutes of some really good stuff. <laughs> Nine and minutes. I, Nine minutes. I hated it. Wow. I never want to watch this movie again. Did you watch it with sound in the dark during October? I watched the the the, the one that you sent to us had organ music. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, which was cool. And I never want to watch it again. But I do like, you know, the clips that you see of the, here's the iconic imagery from it. That's really cool. Uh, the sequence, there's a sequence where um, he's traveling on a boat mm-hmm. and also maybe bringing the plague. He brings all the rats with him. And, yeah, yeah. Because it's it, a really long scene, and it's, and it's this whole thing where you, he kills he, everyone you, on the ship. And, but it is from Dracula lore. You have that to is. travel with the Dracula. dirt that you were buried in, yes. or something like that. Anyway, so I'm like, oh, this is going to be kind of cool, like a little a little pirate ship, you know, killing scene, and it's half the movie. It's meant to be a, a mystery. Yeah, yeah. basically, it's. It, I'm like, oh, this is going to be. Oh no, it's not. But, but the creepy, the crawl, you know, up the stairs, and so, there's definitely good imagery here. And things to like, but I do. I, I was going to say, Isaac, I have a challenge for you. Yes. Uh, if you didn't like this, yeah, watch the 1931 uh, Bram Str- or the Universal Classic Bela Lugosi Dracula. Yeah. Same exact story, but see if you like it better. I'm, I'm, I'm just I'm curious. Might. You will actually. I it's might. actually scary. Uh, I will say the German expressionism stuff isn't for me because sure. I, this is actually the one I watched first. Okay. The first one on the challenge. You're like this will be tough. The second one I watched was the kid, and the it, it was glaring to me how well made the kid looked compared mm-hmm. to this you know that you're was, not wrong there was a sheen a polish to the charlie chaplin movie that this feels like 
you know, it it really feels scenes clipped together like a, a bad student film. Well, well what do you mean? All, like all when the, they all the original prints are yeah, gone. Exactly. Like this, this you mean when they print. say there's a werewolf outside and it's really a dingo painted, it's a painted dingo. It's a hyena. Oh, it's a hyena. You're right, hyena. So, for horror fans. There's an appreciation here, and mm-hmm. I understand that. But it's not for you. It's not for me. That's fine. Yeah, I love horror, and it still ranks among the bottom. Would your kids watch this? Not yet. Okay. No, because I think the creepy scenes are still too much. Okay. Yeah, but I really, I, I liked it, but it's just not as good as the comedies on the list. That's fine. I, I prefer the comedies, but yeah. I do think there needs to be a place for just a one-time horror. watch, and I feel like then you're good. Okay. Yeah. Exit. Now we move to a, a comedy mm-hmm. with Sherlock Jr. from 1924. A film projectionist longs to be a detective and puts his meager skills to work when he is framed by a rival for stealing his girlfriend's father's pocket watch. Now, this is the first film from the famed Buster Keaton. Yes, and Buster Keaton, once again, cards on the table, my favorite. I really do. You're a Keaton guy. I'm a Keaton guy. I I would be willing to to stick my flag in the Charlie Chaplin camp. That's fine. uh, Between the two. I like him. Charlie Chaplin, Buster Keaton, Fatty Arbuckle. uh, uh, Who's the other one? I'm blanking on him. Anyway. Well, then you have Laurel and Hardy, right? Oh, why can't I remember his name? It's going to bug me that I forgot I think it. Keaton has the best movie on the list and the biggest stinkers on the list. Really? Yeah. What? Yeah. On this list? Really inconsistent. His stinkers? He yeah. also has... Um, they're not here because this is a list of features, but Buster Keaton also has a lot of like 20-minute shorts. Yeah. Really well, this movie itself is 45 minutes. It's a breeze. I loved yeah, it. Yeah, it's I really loved short. it. I loved how short it was. Oh, you loved how short it was. Now, real quick, because we're going to talk about Buster Keaton and we're going to talk about some of the stunts he does in his movies. Buster Keaton is Tom Cruise. I, I was going to say, who's the modern day comparison? Because he he is an absolute... Tom Cruise is a nut, right? He's, he's an the, action hero doing Harold his own Lloyd. What? I'm good now. Harold oh, wow. Lloyd. That's Are you okay? okay. I'm wow. Good. Yeah. I'm good. Harold Lloyd. Harold and Lloyd? Uh, but I, I thought the exact same thing, Kent. When you watch at what Buster, Buster Keaton does, he is insane. Life and limb. He is absolutely throwing himself out there. Yes. And I mean, he's he broke himself multiple times. Yeah. Yes. I mean, in this movie, there's a scene where um, he's running along the roofs of moving freight train cars. And in the last one, he goes up to the, you know, the little, the water, you know, tanks that filled up the steam engines. Um, He ends up getting hit with the weight of the water as he's hanging on it and it pulls down. Which was intentional, but he didn't expect the force. And the force was insane. And it like fractured his neck and gave him migraines for years. Yes, it did. This is, he literally broke his neck in that scene and he didn't know. He just had bad headaches. And it wasn't until like, I don't know, a couple years later, they went to the doctor. He's like, did you break your neck at some point? No, there's a clever pool scene. I mean, this is why he's Tom Cruise, where he needed to not hit an explosive ball. And it's like maybe it a five so minute weird, scene. Yes. I know it sounds yeah. so strange. And he practiced when you pool like billiards pool. Yeah, yeah. He, he he practiced for four months to become a pool expert. And obviously there were a lot of takes happening here, but, but it, he put the work in. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. <laughs> this is one where it's an early example of the film within a film. And there's this really cool scene where he goes like so he's, he's a projectionist. He falls asleep. And then he has this dream where he's able to walk up to the movie screen and go inside. Mm-hmm. But then the movie keeps changing and he keeps like he's in the same spot each time as it goes from like a park and a lake and a desert and a city or whatever. Very clever. And the way they did that was like revolutionary for the time it, because they got surveyors equipment so they could get him in the same position oh, each cool. time. And it choreographed it so well that each time I watch that, I'm just like, that was 1924, man. Really cool. Yeah. Totally, completely pointless and has nothing to do with the story. But they're showing but really off cool they looking. Do. And yeah. actually, the movie within a movie takes away from the movie itself. No, the, there is uh, there is a plot there where um, he, the the character, the projectionist, he mm-hmm. has a name, I'm sure, um, is the, accused. It's usually like the guy or yeah, the, yeah. the man. It's usually the man, the woman. The boy. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, he's accused of stealing a pocket, pocket watch. watch. Yeah. yeah. And he's reading a book about how to become a detective. Yes. 
and can't figure that one out. I don't know. And it was as simple as, hey, who pawned this watch? Oh, that guy? Okay. Good thing he's walking by right now. (laughs) By the way, if Chaplin hates cops... Buster Keaton hates tall men with mustaches. Yes, he does. Buster <laughs> Keaton is literally well, who five also, foot five. Yeah. And he makes the villains in his movies much taller. And I actually kind of respected that. Because I'm like, you're showing how short you are on screen. Yeah. But they're always menacing and they're always condescending. And he needs to humble them by the end. Well, in Buster Keaton, uh, he's, known as, he's known as old stone face because his, yeah, his yeah. shtick. He hates expressions. Is he has no expressions. Right. Whereas Charlie Chaplin, the, the tramp, is always goofy and, and you know grinning. And mm-hmm. that's fine. But that's like I like how they have those. Con- but those. what Keaton does, especially with the bike scene here, which is this really extended stunt scene, where I didn't know how they even did some of this stuff. Yeah, like when there's a scene where the, the train comes right up to the bike. Yeah, and he's riding it basically on the front like you would when you were a kid. He's riding on the handlebars of a motorcycle. And, and oh yeah, and, and I'm like, wait, is that a projection coming out? With him? No driver. He's going yeah. by himself. Yeah, he's on, so funny. The, the bike's on like a trailer. Yeah, or something. But yeah. it is. It's and he does this like really Wonder cool. Woman-esque kick through like the window <laughs> and takes out this guy. It was pretty great. By the way, during that scene, he actually uh, skidded and smashed into two cameras and got flung off the motorcycle onto a nearby car. Why does he do this? He, well, he was a, he was a vaudeville performer. Yeah. And he had a whole circus type act he would do with his and with you know, with his group. But that's kind of what he liked to show off in these movies. And I love in this one. There's so many different tricks. Like there's one where he's getting away from these bad guys and they mm-hmm. do this whole thing where they cut out the side of the house so you can see it as the as the you know viewer yeah but then he jumps from inside the house through a window and outside and he's he's like instantly in disguise and yeah. i was like well he placed so a prop fun. there immediately yeah he did and so, so he, he jumped through and he's wearing like a dress basically yeah and then yeah. they can't find him because the bad guys are chasing after him there's another one where he jumps this is the one where he jumps through through his assistant standing against a wall <laughs> yeah and I once again I watched that one a couple of times and I'm like, how did they do that so seamlessly? Is this the one where he loads the dress into the little drum? Yeah, yes, that, was it. that was yeah, it. Yeah. The disguise yeah, yeah, okay, there. Okay. Yeah, that's that's it. I love that gag. I love that gag. It's one of the reasons this, this is probably one of my favorite ones on the list. Look, is it because it's so palatable? Like this it's is, 45 minutes. That's why I say this is the one I usually recommend to people because I'm like, it's 45 minutes. It's a comedy. There's some really cool visual gags in there. This is the one that I'm like, Sherlock Jr. Give it a chance. Bad story. But fun. Yeah, no, I, I, agree. I like the story. I think with a lot of Keaton movies, it's a bad story and ends great. I like the stories. Yeah. I like the simple, sweet stories. A parent's guide update for Sherlock oh, Jr. Yes. here. Uh, a man and a woman embrace and kiss passionately. In a subsequent shot, they are seen with infant twins. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's how it works. The gag, by the way, when they uh, slam on the brakes of the car and the car, the bottom half of the car keeps it driving. off. That's totally Living Daylights used that. It's true. In James Bond yeah. movies. How it became a boat that he could also turn around, I was confused by. But <laughs> it doesn't matter. Yeah, there we go. Uh, AFI, by the way, the American Film Institute, ranked this film 62 in its list of the funniest films of all time. Can't roll his eyes at that. No, no. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, all of these movies are in like the National Registry. Yes, like, like, so I, they are I, preserved at this point, even though much of the footage has been lost. Yeah, I have uh, that in my notes, but it got so repetitive because almost every single one of these Truly. films is like, this yeah. has been deemed culturally. Oh, it's like, this is Guillermo del Toro's favorite movie. It's like, oh, okay. yeah, I have that like every time, too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> All these are Guillermo del Toro's favorite movie, including this next one. Let me look. Yep. Yep, of course. Yep. Our next one is from 1925. It's The Gold Rush. A prospector goes to the Klondike during the 1890s Gold Rush in hopes of making his fortune and is smitten with a girl he sees in a dance hall. Starring yes. Charles Chaplin. Yes, is a Charlie And Ch- written and directed, obviously. By Charlie Chaplin. Is this his most famous? Or is City Lights the most City famous? City Lights probably gets more praise. Does it? Okay. But Gold Rush has a couple more iconic moments. The scenes in this movie are better than the movie itself. Okay, I could see that. 
I think the antics that happen here are great and st- are still in my head, and I like them better than the movie. What I enjoyed about this movie is Charlie Chaplin is always Charlie Chaplin. It is freezing cold, and he dresses like Charlie Chaplin yeah, with a backpack. Although this was on a set. So. Oh, well, sure. Yeah. Uh, did, you, did you recognize that it was sand? The snow was sand. Was it? Had to have been. Oh, you're the texture was right. Sand. It could have been asbestos. It was the 20s. It's true. Uh, by the way, you can find this one on HBO Max, Amazon Prime, YouTube. This is the one I cheated. Go on. I cheated with this movie. So you have the 1925 Gold Rush, and then I, I don't remember the year. I believe it's 1942 yeah. version. Oh, yes, when he redid it. So I, I essentially watched this movie twice in chunks. So what I would do is I'd watch the 1925 version, which is your classic your music's playing, and you have your, your uh, intertitle cards or whatever we call them. Uh, and then, you know, the movie goes on. Well, then the 1942 version, he's like, hey, we got technology now. So he takes away all of the title cards and just does a narration. How does yeah. it pan out? I liked it. Oh, you did? Yeah. I did. He, because it's it's him still telling a story. And, his, and it because I watched it kind of side, almost side by side, mm-hmm. um, he would add stuff about the character's thoughts, the motivations, little details about them. Mm-hmm. And Kent, this is, you, you are going to love this. Okay. It's about 25 minutes shorter. Ah. It's a, it's a little cleaner edit. So they cut out the dance hall stuff. Because a lot of this movie's problems... 95 minutes. Is no, but truly half of the movie is stuck in a cabin, which is fine because those are the best scenes. Yes. But there's so many dance hall moments where these movies don't know when to say when. It's almost like a musical. We're going to show a 10-minute dance number. Yes. Where there's no characterization happening. Well, but there is a Choreography. Fun, there sure. is a fun bit where his pants are falling down and he needs to uh, tie them up with a rope and the rope he uses is tied to a dog. That is fun. That's a Yeah, that's true. Yeah. This also has the roll dance, which is maybe Charlie Chaplin. Is this Chaplin's. where it came from? This is probably the most famous. Uh, Benny and Charlie June Pong. created that, actually. <laughs> Johnny Depp created that in Benny and June? Sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but yes, this is the one where he takes two forks, stabs them into two rolls, and does a little dance like as if they're little feet. And apparently that was so popular in some cases that they projectionists would stop the film and replay the scene again because audiences wanted to see it again. Yeah. Uh, this also has a scene where he's eating his own shoe because he's so hungry. Yeah. Uh, that shoe is made of black licorice, which I think is even worse than the leather it probably would have been. Uh, apparently, no that scene took three days to, to film. And because Charles Chaplin, Charlie Chaplin, he's such like perfectionist. Charles 63 Chaplin. takes to do this so much that he was taken to the hospital because he had insulin shock because of all the licorice all he the ate. Black what? Licorice. Yeah. Don't eat black licorice, kids. For that scene? Yeah. It's pretty he, memorable, no, no? He would do so many scenes over and over Where he's licking the again. nails and he's like, you know, trying to get every little meaty bit off. Yeah, but I, I just, I don't know why that would take so well, long. They were the, just eating a shoe. The Granted, dedication to the character, too, because he he lost one shoe because he ate it. Uh, and and he's he had a bandage. Or, you know. It's just wrapped up the rest of the time. Yeah. So much mm-hmm. that it gets kerosene on it and gets set on fire at one yeah. point. Very true. Also, the cabin. I mean, the the, the effects are kind of wonky, but the cabin almost falling off the cliff. My kids gasped at that the, part. Oh, totally. Like yeah. The tension was there. with it. Yeah. Yeah, this is a fun one. I, I thoroughly enjoy this one. Uh, just from the parents' guide, go mm-hmm. on. Just be careful. Two starving characters, with one of them hallucinating from that uh, <laughs> starving <a> chicken, <laughs> hallucinating a man-sized chicken, chase and struggle for a gun. This is interrupted by the appearance of a bear. The lucid participant of the struggle shoots and kills it as necessary measure for food. I felt bad for the bear. Yeah, you felt bad for the bear. Yeah. But chasing after a Be giant... Be in that situation, and you would not feel bad I know. Bear. That's Ch- true. Chasing after a giant Charlie Chaplin chicken? Yeah. No, that's not good. Out of context, <laughs> that sounds so weird. <laughs> <laughs> but it does happen in the movie. Yeah. Now, from also 1925, we have Phantom of the Opera. A mad, disfigured composer seeks love with a lovely young opera singer. What? What is this movie? I'm, 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 I'm mad. You're mad? I'm mad. Why are you mad? 
I didn't hear synth music once in this thing. <laughs> you like the synth, huh? I like, there's no Andrew Lloyd Webber here. <laughs> um, dun, 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 now, dun. obviously, the music is a big part of Phantom, the musical, as we know. Did it seem like they took from the score? Was it Andrew Lloyd Webber who did the musical, right? But that... Dun, 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 there dun. did feel like some musical cues. I think he took in, them it, right influence over. Influence that Andrew yeah. Lloyd Webber likely used. Very possibly. Yeah. At least, it certainly influenced. Right. And this, I was going to say, famously stars Lon Chaney. As the it's, of the opera. it's the reveal scene. That's what yes. we all know. Yes, and you, you've seen this Phantom of the Opera where he has like this uh, skull-like face. His mask with these is dark weird. Eyes. It's it's, it, oh, it's oh the mask he wears before yeah. he reveals himself yes. is like, almost as creepy as his actual. Like the mouth flap. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's creepy. It's not a half. It's not a graceful half mask like uh, Michael Crawford wears. No, or Gerard Butler. You know, it's like, oh, yeah. you have a slight birthmark around your eye. <laughs> Let's torch and pitchfork you. This, Ready this Player is, One. <laughs> this is more <laughs> kidnappy than romantic. No, this is this is the horror yes. of Phantom of the Opera. This, uh, this it's is not romantic. Definitely a, a horror movie. It's dark and eerie. Like I, I liked this one because to me it was like, oh, that's why people find Phantom of the Opera scary. Because yeah. he is creepy. Well, it's based on the novel where he is a creepy phantom-like right. character. Does this qualify as a universal monster? This actually, because of the success of this movie, because Lon Chaney did do The Hunchback of Notre mm-hmm. Dame uh, before, but this was the one that was such a success that they said, let's make more of these horror movies, and that kicked off the universal classic okay. horror. I really enjoyed in the in the plot the counterplay between he and the owners of the opera and the threats that were being shown and everything like that. The second half of the movie kind of lost me when it was just the mob mentality, which I get. But like the torture chambers and all that? Oh, okay. I did like that. But really, when it was just the mob trying to decide how they're going to find them, where they're all going to run to, I was like, okay, we get it. There's a mob. Now what? And then to the end, whereas I think the end of this movie really lost it as far as the well, story goes. I'll say the, the whole mob stuff, especially yeah. with how the mob stuff ends and how this movie ends, uh-huh. there's no falling action in most of these movies. You know how right. the, like, right. the, the, the conflict is resolved and you kind of see where everybody settles. There's a little bit of that in some of these, but a lot of them just end abruptly. This yep. one particularly is mm-hmm. like, hey, let's just, uh, I don't know how to end this. How should we? Oh, I don't know. Mob does something bad. Then we're over. Yeah. It's done. They, they no had morality tell to it or no. no. They, had, they had multiple endings where the, the Phantom got this redemption where, you know, Christine kisses him and he realized, he says, like, my mother wouldn't even kiss me here. Mm-hmm. And he gets all emotional. And there, there was a couple different ones of those, but the studio kept saying, nope, nope, nope. Really? Kill the Phantom. Really? Yeah. They, Spoiler alert. To beat him up and throw him in the river. Yep. I do love that at the time, because remember, there was no social media or anything like that. And mm-hmm. so there was no press or promo regarding to how he really looked under the mask. Um, yeah. And so when people saw the movie, genuine shock uh, to the point that even while filming, um, Mary Philbin, who played Christine, her reaction in the movie is real. That's the first time she saw Lon Chaney with the makeup. And he, he got to do it himself. He, he did his own makeup for Hunchback of Notre Dame. It was a big success. So this one, he decided to do it again. Yeah. And let me just give you guys, like, I like doing Halloween makeup. I'm like, oh, how do you do that? Right. So he raised the contours of his cheekbones by stuffing wadding inside his cheeks. Sure. So basically, like, he got As you do. Out. He used a skull cap to raise his forehead height several inches and accentuate like, his skull. Hmm. So he pulled his hair back. Uh, he used pencil lines to to get like brow lines and a little makeup there. But then he glued his ears to his head. What? Painted his eye sockets black. Attached prongs to a, a set of rotted false teeth uh, <laughs> to put them in his mouth and coat his lips with grease paint. And then to transform his nose, he put putty to sharpen the angle and then inserted loops of wires into his nostrils. No. And then had those wires pulled back under his nostril so it pulled his nose upward and he's on screen the entire time they said he was bleeding from doing this makeup that's dedication 
Yeah, he uh, apparently, as the legend goes, uh, he would do makeup a lot as a kid. His parents were deaf, and so he um, would do makeup to entertain them. And also uh, scare them spoke uh, because his family's deaf. He spoke a lot sure. with his hands, which translated well to that works. Doing yeah. No, he does an amazing job. And they say, by the way, that this look of the phantom is the most accurate to the book. When they say he has a skull like face with a few wisps of black hair on top of his head. I will also point out the masquerade ball scene in this is pretty awesome. It uh, is yeah. very yeah. colorful in the yeah. version that we watched. Um, his mask is very scary. Yeah, the, the, the skull, skull mask he has yeah. over the top. Um, it's pretty cool. Well, and like the that. set they made for the for the Paris Opera House was it, it had to support a bunch of extras, so it was made of uh, steel girders and concrete, and so it was there. Yeah, until 2014. Whoa! And then they dismantled it and and moved it around in pieces. And I don't know if you guys watched the version I did, but the one I had was mostly colored. Like you said, the filters over the screen showed like conveyed a mood yes yeah it was and uh, i really enjoyed that you know the the ch- color would change yes. depending on like if the phantom was talking if christine was talking if raul was talking yeah, uh, yeah. kind of shows you where you are those. that's yeah, the that's weirdest crazy. thing to me every time i say color in here i'm like someone had to hand dip each each for each uh frame crazy wow nuts well hey, just checking in with the parents guide here <laughs> <laughs> the scene where the chandelier drops is fairly frightening Oh, it is. Yeah. I mean, it's true. I mean, so so the audience is there watching the show. They're watching Carlotta sing. Mm-hmm. And uh, Carlotta's a good time in this movie. Carlotta's good. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, the chandelier drops on the audience. Yeah. And I actually, I did gasp. I, yeah. I, it was quite frightening. It's very stylized. Sorry. Like, it was fairly frightening. In, in, the, in the movie of the modern, the newer fan of the opera, uh, it was, you know, very beautiful. Right. The chandelier fell. But like this one does get into that horror kind of like, oh, that would oh, kill shoot. people. Oh, shoot. Some people are dead. Some people are dead. Yeah. Um, so do, do we talk about our feelings on this movie? Here? Yeah. yeah. Remember how I hated Nosferatu? Yeah. I don't like horror movies. Yeah. I liked this movie. Oh. I liked it a lot uh, because I think the big deal is I know this story super well. Yeah. You know, I've seen, um, I've seen obviously the Andrew Lloyd Webber thing. I've also, there's another musical just called Phantom uh, that tells us the same story in a different way. Um, so I, because I knew it well, I wasn't, I didn't have to think too much and yeah. could just kind of enjoy the imagery and the sets, the costumes, the, obviously the makeup, uh, it's quite a spectacle. It um, is. it's, it, it was an entertaining For me, the, movie. The first half is definitely worth watching but again it, and again. It does. It just, I think it falls apart. It drags. Yeah. I was, I, I find myself in a lot of these movies going, this is fun. Pause. How far are we into it? <laughs> oh my gosh! There's still double the movie left. What is it going to do? Yeah. And almost every time with a lot of these movies, I'm sorry, Joel, uh, it doesn't do much. It just kind of this one particularly. And it's only an its hour tires. and thirty three minutes. Like it's not a it, crazy long time. But it spins its tires for like thirty minutes. Yeah. It does. And then ends. I think it, it ends well. It ends interestingly. But if you're watching these kind of movies in the, during the scary season, or really any time, it's worth watching. Well, it sets uh, a good sure. atmosphere, too. Like, this is honestly one you could put on the background at a Halloween yeah. party, and there's not going to be anything offensive on the screen. Yeah, that's true. But it sets a mood. For I mean, the, it really does. Are, it's, it's fairly frightening. Yes. <laughs> it is fairly frightening, especially so, when chandelier falls. be careful. Next, we have, from 1926, The General. After being rejected by the Confederate military, not realizing it was due to his crucial civilian role, <sighs> an engineer must single-handedly recapture his beloved locomotive, here we go. After it's seized by the Union spies and return it through enemy lines. Yeah, this is this is a Buster Keaton movie. Came out in 1927. Okay, so I'm watching this movie, and there were times where I like look down, I look up, and I'd be like, "Wait, hold on, let me get this straight." He's a Confederate soldier, and I look down, <laughs> and I look up, and I'd be like, "He's a Confederate soldier." Yeah, yeah. Because there's He's these wearing gray. The Union spies are, are stealing the, the train, take his girl, and everything like that. And I'm like, "Wait, wait, wait. he needs to get back to the Confederate army to talk about the plans that he just found out." Yeah, and I'm like. 
I'm rooting for this guy. And I actually read up on it because I'm like, was he a sympathizer? But no, he felt, even though this was, what, 60 years after the Civil War, yeah, yeah. He, he felt, I want the character to be seen as an underdog. And to me, I think the audience will sympathize more with the underdog in the, the losing army yeah. in the Civil War. Because he specifically says, so, and you mentioned it in the, um, the synopsis, so he goes to sign up for the war. And they won't let him in because they specifically say behind the desk, he's more valuable as a train engineer yeah. mm-hmm. than he would be as a soldier. But they don't tell him that. They just say, no, you can't be in the army. And he's like sad about it. He specifically mentions to a guy like, hey, if you lose this war, it's because you didn't put me in it, basically. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, ha, they did. Yeah. <laughs> well, and also this is based on a true story. There's there's a historical event in the American Civil War called the Great Locomotive Chase, where uh, some Union soldiers stole a train, mm-hmm. and then the Confederate army had to go chase after him and get it back. And that, another reason he did it that way, that's historically how it was. Wow. But since the Confederates end up catching the Union army and, and winning, essentially, sure. that, that little battle, sure. he was like, well, it's a comedy. I have to tell it from the point of view of this Georgia boy, because in the end, that's how it ends. And we can't have our, our hero you know, lose at the end and get sure. caught by the Confederate army. So sure. uh, This movie is filmed in sepia tone. Boy, is it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not black and white, but there's still beauty to it. Well, is it or is it that the version that we watched? That's my. It's my, possible. My, there are different versions out there. Uh, you know, you can find I, them on I, Amazon Prime, the Roku Channel Plex, and the Wikipedia page. All right, YouTube. I saw some clips, and it was like, oh, that that's that scene, so, black and white. If you've seen the clips mm-hmm. of the general, you may not know, but just know that you've seen Buster Keaton sitting on the front, front. grill of a train. Holding and it's just that, yeah. giant pieces of wood. And throwing the plank down and knocking the other one out of the path. Which, that's so cool. <laughs> here's the thing. You watch it, and it's like, wow, that's a pretty cool stunt. Literally. Life or death. That's life or death. He's sitting there on the front of a railroad on the, what do they call it? The cattle cattle pusher or something like that. I think yeah. so, yeah. The pointy part. But, uh, the pointy part. <laughs> I say the pointy the part. The part of the train. <laughs> but he, he, there's, a, there's a railroad tie that the soldiers have thrown the railroad ties onto the tracks trying to derail this train. And the train is moving, and he has to pick up a railroad tie, throw it, and knock the other one off. And the way he does it is spectacular. But if he hadn't have done it right, the train could have derailed. Once again, Buster Keaton, Tom Cruise. Yes. And then there's another part where he's just sitting on the side of a train on the uh, the coupling rods, as mm-hmm. I learned they're called. And he's sitting on there. And as the train movie kind of starts moving with it. And they said that was actually a really dangerous scene, too. Because if the if the locomotion, as they called it, the lo- Come on, baby. locomotive, not locomotion. <laughs> <laughs> if it, Minogue? if sure. it would have done a wheel spin, he would have been flung off yeah. and died. So, so how, long is it, here? how long is this movie? This movie is one hour, 15 minutes. One and guess what? This is one hour, 15 minutes of a masterpiece. It's really, this, this is, this is, is phenomenal. 40 minutes of a train chase. Yes. <laughs> and, and when you say that. Some people equate it to the Mad Max Fury Road of its time. Yeah, it truly is. Uh, there's this, like even scenes where he loads this cannon and then the cannon's going to shoot him. Yes. And based on like the <laughs> timing of it all. And he I'm had, not going to ruin he anything. He had to count the, the gunpowder with a tweezer, like grains no, of gunpowder. This stuff is really happening in these movies. Yeah. Like, yeah, sometimes there's <laughs> miniatures and you can tell when a, when a dam breaks, for example. You're like, oh, that's a miniature. Like we get that. But the train falling off the bridge. But the train falling off the bridge, which made me gasp. Absolutely real. A yeah. real size train it's falling off a real size bridge. Crazy. Yeah. And it, it actually, they left that train there for like 20 years after. Really? In the water as kind of a, like a tourist prop? attraction. Sure. And then when World War II started, they used it for scrap. Metal. Even just the shots where he's riding by and there's not much action happening. Like, for example, he's riding on the train. He's not running from the bad guys really at any point. And then you see the soldiers passing by in the background. And I'm like, that is beautiful. That was a very good shot. That's yeah. a good one. 
Uh, the, uh, speaking of, uh, we talked about how he almost died. On this set, he did get knocked unconscious. Buster Keaton did. Oh, sure. Uh, assistant director was shot in the face with a blank cartridge. Jeez. He's okay, I think. Well, he's uh, dead now. The train, uh, yeah. <laughs> a train wheel ran over a brakeman's foot and they got sued. They started a couple fires because of the, it's a, it's a wood fueled train. So there was some stuff that happened. Embers coming out and ended up lighting haystacks on fire and they had to pay a bunch for it. So the budget for this ballooned sure. very quickly. And they did say that the wreck of the train going off the, off the tracks was the most expensive single shot in silent film history. Wow. $42,000 at the time. Can I be honest here? Yeah. This is the big dumb action movie of its time. Big dumb action movie? I don't know if I call it dumb. But I'm just saying, like, of its Because it's time, so though. clever. The action is so it, clever, it's, though. It is the w- action, action, action. Yeah, action. you're right. Granted, it's not yeah. as thrilling in action, but it just keeps going. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. And it's one of Guillermo del Toro's favorite films. Well, yeah. surprising. <laughs> well, um, yeah. there, there is specifically a sequence that I found to be really funny and really clever. It's where um, Buster Keaton, the conductor, gets thrown off, and the the girl <laughs> ends up uh, pushing the train forward. Yes. And he's having to chase after it. And he's like, okay, hold on. It's going It's, it's going to go uh, around this little hairpin turn, and it's going to go uh, beyond the bottom of a hill. I'm going to run down the bottom of the hill. And so he runs down, and then... <laughs> And just as he's about to meet up with the train, she's like, oh, that's the reverse. Okay, cool. And so mm. she makes the train go backwards, and he's like, oh, now I have to climb up. Oh, man. One of my it favorite moments. Back and forth. I found that pretty funny. One of my favorite moments is when he's trying to get as much wood as he can into the, into the, into the stove <laughs> yeah. to make the train go Tosses faster. Tosses it over the other end. And he's throwing these big pieces, and then the girl gives him like this little twig. <laughs> And he's like, what? What am I supposed to do with it? He like she throws, throws it, it at, at her. her. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's just one of those moments where I went, relatable. Yeah. yeah. Just in that moment of frustration. Uh, sadly, this was a critical and financial failure. Really? Yeah, this, yeah no, it totally was. This kind of killed his mojo. In, it, well, and as kind of his career, because then the studio he was with, they sold his contract to MGM. And then MGM didn't treat him very good after that. Yeah. Like he made a few of the movies, which we've talked about already. Yeah. But it didn't really go that well for him. Yeah, which, which is crazy. Is this I because think this, since it's then, a classic. Since then, it's been ranked uh, one of the greatest silent films ever, and I completely agree with that. Yeah, yeah, um, loved it. Yeah, so I, I really enjoy the yeah. general. This was this actually my total recommendation. This was my first feature-length introduction to silent cinema. It was in college. They said we're going to watch a silent movie. I went, oh boy. They put on the general, and I was like, wait, I'm actually feeling emotions. Wait, I'm actually laughing. Yeah. So, if this is the only silent movie you've ever watched, you're doing well. This yeah. is a good one. This is a good one to pick. Let's the general. It. But Zach, this is like too general, too furious for you. Let's let's check in with the parents guide. Oh. <laughs> Some men are knocked unconscious by blows to the head. True. Doesn't that sound like a big dumb action movie? Yeah. No, it this really does it feels like the precursor to like a, a car chase. Yeah. I mean, it, it is a and because they're they're trains, you know, there's obviously on a single path, but you know, we've got everything from uh, busting track switchers yep. to delay people, throwing stuff on the tracks all Light the time. things on fire. I mean, they, they basically anything that you could possibly do in a train chase is done in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. They find a lot of different ways to slow things down, to make things comedic, to make things tense. Um, so it's, yeah. it's super it impressive. It's really I, I really do enjoy the general. And it, it is weird. It is weird to root for the Confederate Army. Yeah. Like they, when they actually start fighting each other and like... There's oh. a moment where I'm like, Confederate soldiers got shot. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh, no. By the way, fun fact. It was the Oregon National Guard. Yeah. And they played both the uh, Confederate and the Union soldiers. Yeah. They just changed costumes. They got 500 extras to run runway. Then they I changed costumes and ran the, the other same. way. Yeah. yeah. That's racist. <laughs> <laughs> now from 1927, the precursor to the 1984 Apple commercial, <laughs> it's Metropolis. Oh, you mean Zack Snyder's Metropolis. Zack Snyder's Metropolis. In a futuristic yeah. city, 
sharply divided between the working class and the city planners, the son of the city's mastermind falls in love with a working class prophet who predicts the coming of a savior to mediate their differences. What? So there's utopia, dystopia, and someone trying to be the mediator. This is the movie poster with the C-3PO basically template. But like a little bit more of a rar. The machine mensch. She's kind of like a machine mensch. I can't know how to say it. The robot woman. Yeah. Uh, so this is the Man Machine, uh, directed by Fritz Lang, a very popular uh, German director, who also did Nosferatu, right? No, that was uh, FFW oh, now. No. Yeah, oh, too many names. But uh, Fritz this Lang one is hundred and fifty-three minutes long. Two this movie is so minutes. long, Joel. Joel, it's this movie is so long. There are many different versions. The one you probably want to watch, the one I recommend to people, is give the, me the shortest. Version. It's called no. It's called the Complete Metropolis, what? and it was after. So they they had the original cut of the film didn't go well, so they cut it down. And then people were like, what about all the other footage? And it was just gone. But then they found the footage in Argentina, in an Argentinian yeah. uh, theater. They found the, the, the lost footage and they put it back in. So the Zach, 2010 Complete Metropolis version. I ate up every scene. Oh, my gosh. I, every no, scene this of this two-hour, 33-minute well, And it was interesting what you're saying, Joel. Uh, the version that, that I watched um, starts with basically a story of mm. the restoration. And a couple of these mm-hmm. uh, do that where they, they talk about how this movie was lost, but now we found some of it. Yeah. And so when it was the frame looks weird, uh, then it's from this this copy, and yeah. to keep the timing right, there are going to be black frames. So this is you this movie this is told movie in, in thirds. The first third is very sci-fi. Yes. It's like we're creating a robot, and we're going to control these people, Yes, taking uh, the visage of a woman who is a prophet in this yeah. movie, and we're going to make her this evil robot that's going to yeah. tempt everyone. The, the second part is biblical. All of a sudden, out totally. of nowhere, way trippy. And the third is like a revolution, the destruction of the city. Yeah. And I... Because you have like the workers down below who are yes. singing 16 tons. What do you get? Totally. Yeah. But because it's so many varied parts, because it gets so biblical, yeah. I devoured this movie. The score is the best of all these that we're talking about. Oh, really? It feels very purposeful. It's, it's very well done. Yeah. It feels very John Williams. I can see that. I can see that. And yeah. this is like this is one of the first uh, feature-length science fiction movies. Mm-hmm. So the imagery is second to none on this list. It is the 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 use of the the sets, which the, sets are pretty rare in a lot of these silent movies. They, yeah. They'll use like one or two locations. The, this is when insane on sets. Yes. Well, and the future from the past thing that you have going on here. Um, uh, it's twenty twenty six, by the way. Is that it takes place in twenty twenty six? We're almost there. Yeah, it's uh, the imagery is truthfully stunning. Yeah. And it, it, I, I have a hard time believing when I watch this that it was made back in 1927 with in some Germany. of the effects they do. It wasn't yeah. even in the U.S. Some of the effects they do and the visual stuff and, and just there were so many things where I kind of went, how? I can't do that now Honestly. in 2022. How did you do that in 1927? Wasn't this, the, wasn't this a Hollywood movie? I, I, read, I think I read somewhere that this was a German-made movie, but it was the first Hollywood German made movie. I could see that. So I think it, I, I think know. that's maybe well, why it's got the German so impressionism. Here it's also got the big budget. Well, let me tell you a little bit about the history, and this is kind of says a lot about what kind of film this is and what it can inspire as far as propaganda goes. So Fritz Lang, the director, he's screening this in Germany. Adolf Hitler and Joseph Goebbels, they were big fans of the film. They came up to him and they said, "Hey, we want you to make movies for us. Essentially, like we want to make you an honorary Aryan." And he says, I'm this is 1927, Mike. And he says, I'm Jewish. (laughs) And then they're like, we don't care. We can we can decide who's a Jew and who's not. And so he moved to France and then he moved to L.A. Essentially, he's like, I'm getting the heck out of here. Yeah. No, because the the filmmaking he puts in here, you could see this being a propagandist type. Oh, totally. And I think the the interpretation on it is almost a little flexible. So you can kind of find 
an angle that you want to take. Like, is this is this pro capitalism or anti capitalism? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, find an angle. Yeah, because there's so much going on. Yeah, the actress who plays Maria and she plays dual roles in the movie. But when she's the machine, when she's the robot, Maria. Yeah. So much fun to watch. She chews the, the way she moves kind of freaks me out. And she out. does the people's eyebrow basically the <laughs> yeah. whole movie. Yeah. And she, even when bad things happen to this character or whatnot, you're, she's devouring everything. I, I am going to jump in a little bit here and maybe still some of Zack's thunder. I don't know if you say it, but the, there, when she becomes the, the temptress woman, yeah. there's a part where she's not wearing much clothing. She is covered. How do get away with that in it, these movies? This is before the production code. And Still, so, though, there's yeah. some spiciness at the beginning of this movie. With yeah, some sheer. Yeah, there's some sheer clothing. But yeah. At the same time, like they this was one of the only ones I was watching with my seven year old. Uh-oh. <laughs> yep. So we, we, yeah. we, we switched mean, to Buster Keaton. Yeah. Yeah. It, like it doesn't really show fully anything, but there's definitely kind of like, oh, yeah, you can tell what that is. Like, it's awkward. Yeah. If mm-hmm. you're watching it with no, kids. No, you're not stepping on anything. I could have used that as my parents guide warning, but the parents guide warning as it's written fight scene, period, witch burning. Period. <laughs> Which, by the way, yeah. real flames. What? Real flames in that scene when they're burning the witch at the stake, and it caught her dress on fire. Oh no! So, I, oh, and also when they when they flooded, they flood the city. Yeah, and they have like five hundred children. Yeah, and they oh, were, real children, by the way, real children. Yes, but they were from the poorest districts of that area. Yeah, and so they basically kept them in this pool of cold water for fourteen days, but. The, all the kids, they had warm and clean rooms. They got four hot meals a day. And so they were loving it. They said that right. every time they said, yelled action, they were just jumping in the water, like happy to do it. I'm disappointed in myself that I hadn't seen this earlier. I know we talked about this movie when we had Ryan on yes. years ago. Yeah. And I was like, I need to watch that. I'm glad I have now. I'm glad. I'm this glad this is probably a one-time watch. But uh, man, I, it was a stellar one-time watch for I me. say one-time watch every couple years. Okay. Because I, I watched it again and I'm like, wow. And you, you notice something different. Yeah. The, this has such a big influence too. Like you may notice, C three PO is is kind of <laughs> yeah. based on the yeah. on the mach- so machine mensch, as ah. they call it. That the robot the, way, woman. the robot looks great. Yeah, it's very, it's not on the screen very much. No, but it's really cool effect. The, the effect is is actually very impressive. Yeah. They, by the way, they did one version of this movie because there are so many different versions. This is like sure. the Blade, Blade Runner, Runner time, of course. But uh, they have this version in nineteen eighty four where they released uh, kind of a shortened version of the movie, but the soundtrack is done by Freddie Mercury and Loverboy and Adam what? Ant. It's not well-received, but I'm gonna they watch put it. rock music to it. Yeah. And I thought that was so interesting. The score itself that. is great as is, though. Yeah. So uh, really fantastic movie. If you like sci-fi, you should definitely watch this movie. If you don't, maybe give it a shot and see if you like sci-fi. I also feel, as I was watching it, I was like, Kent's going to get this movie poster for his house. <laughs> I think I might know. Yeah. It's got a very <laughs> art, art deco look uh, to it. Iconic. Yeah. yeah. Next we have, also from 1927, Sunrise, A Song of Two Humans. Yes. A sophisticated urban woman seduces a farmer in the hopes that he will murder his neglected wife and join her in the city. But he soon finds himself rekindling romance with the latter when she discovers their scheme. Hey. Now, this is one. This was my drama. Don Draper? (laughs) (laughs) The Don Draper story, basically. This this was my drama pick uh, where I just want to do, this isn't a comedy. This isn't a horror. This is just straightforward storytelling. This is where I was watching so many comedies in one week and then I turned on Sunrise and I went, Joel, what are you, what are you doing here? Yeah. Because yeah. it got so dark. You mean the, where he tries to uh, murder his wife and then feels bad about it and she's mad at him about it? Yeah. yeah. They kind of fall in yeah. love. <laughs> but then tonally, it is kind of all over the place because that's the first third. And then second third is just a big party forever. It's a long party. Yeah. 
Yeah. So you have... Uh, this is only 95 minutes. There's the rural side of it. So it's this man lives with his wife in the rural. And then there's the, the city woman, which brings early on my, my parents' guide. Oh. <laughs> An implied affair. One low-cut dress. One woman whose dress straps keep falling down. Several kissing scenes. A woman undresses. Only her back is shown for about half a second. Oh, <gasps> scandalous. Now, this one, I, I enjoy the story, but really what does it for me is uh, the actress. The main actress, Janet Gaynor, mm-hmm. her performance is so pure. you like, don't let anything no, bad this, happen to her. This felt like not a silent movie. In my head, I don't even see it as a silent movie because it doesn't seem like they're going big for the screen. No. It feels like they're just a- acting in a movie. Yeah. Yeah, I, I completely agree. This and, is like very subtle. And this is directed by F.W. Murnau, who did uh, Nosferatu as well. Yeah, same director as Nosferatu. And he didn't like the use of title cards in the movie, so he has very few here. Well, and they get fewer and fewer as it goes on. Yeah. By, by the end, it's practically non-existent. There's and you no don't need cards. them. No, because you know what's uh, going on. There are some scenes, because the, the last third of the movie, there's this huge storm, and a lot of things are happening, and I got really nervous. Yeah. And there's like a triumphant scene as well, and I was like, yes. This is so beautiful. I don't know how I got so into this because they didn't really like the middle third. Really? The yeah. dance party. Yeah, the dance party. It goes a little long. Yeah. And once again, short movie, but very dramatic. Well, and this is one where they use uh, superimposing, which is when you put an mm-hmm. image over another image. And that was done in camera. So they would shoot Crazy. one image with the, and like black out the rest of the frame. And then they'd reshoot it again and expose over that. So like they mm-hmm. were doing in-camera editing, which is bizarre and amazing back in 1927. That's when this one was. Yeah. It did win the Academy Award, the first Academy Awards. It won unique and artistic picture. And that was great and good for it. Yeah. But also that year they gave out uh, uh, an award to Wings for outstanding picture. And that's what counts as best pic- the first right. best picture. But it could have been either one of these. But Janet Gaynor Wings did win. Wings is pretty good. Yeah. I liked Wings. Yeah. But Janet Gaynor did win the, her, the first ever Best Actress in Leading Role Academy Award for her performance in this film. Well deserved. And she got like two other that same year for different films she was in. Jeez. Yeah, she did great that year. Many have called this the greatest film of the silent era. Probably Guillermo Toro liked it. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Uh, this was the first silent film to be released on Blu-ray. It's not flashy. It's not fun. But it's just such a well-done drama. Has this movie been remade? I don't think so. I mean, so. conceptually, sure, it exists. Yeah. But no specific remake of this movie? Maybe every 90s thriller. I'm trying to think if there's a movie. <laughs> Sleeping like, with I'm, the enemy. Yeah. I am try- I'm trying to think if there's a movie where it's like, this other woman wants her the husband, the guy's cheating on a girl. The girl he's cheating with wants the guy to kill his own wife. Yeah, there's got to be the concept is like so that. simple, right. but for the time he, he it wasn't. He attempts it sure. and then they they rekindle. Yeah, I don't know about that, hmm. but yeah, I agreed. The boat scene at the end, I was kind of like, oh no. Zach, did you like this one? Uh yeah. Uh, honestly, as far as you were saying, when you're in a certain mode, right? It's like horror and comedy, and it's like, oh no, this is a this is just a straight drama and a good one at that. Um. I think it's interesting that I had never heard of it because when you do actually kind of look into the the reception of this movie, mm-hmm. it is considered one of the all-time greats. I've never yeah. heard of it. Right. I've heard of some of these other movies. You know, you've, you've heard of Nosferatu and Gold Rush and Phantom, but yeah. this is I had no concept of it, and this is it's a good movie. I don't know that I'd watch it again. I hear you. It wasn't, yeah. it wasn't like the, the fun experience yeah. that I was getting from these other silent movies, but... I like. I liked it. Okay. It's well made. Next, we have Steamboat Bill Jr. from 1928. The FTA. I just said ineffectual. Cause the, that's what it means. The ineffectual son of a cantankerous riverboat captain comes to join his father's crew. Rough. It's a rough riverboat captain who has his college boy come and visit him, and they're not the same. 
Yeah. But yes, Buster Keaton came out in 1928. This one's only 71 minutes. You can find it on Amazon Prime, and you can see it there for quote-unquote free. There uh, is... Oh, I'm going to get real early into the Parents' Guide, because this has an some really iconic imagery, a certain scene yes. from this. Um, you've seen it, guaranteed. If you've ever seen a movie at Megaplex, they probably show it before the movie starts. Yeah. But from the Parents' Guide, a town is being destroyed by a severe windstorm during which the protagonist frequently appears to be in great danger of injury or death. Most notably, an entire wall falls on the protagonist and he escapes injury because he is standing exactly where an open window lands. Oh, Yes, this is this is the movie where the guy's standing there and the whole building falls around him yeah. and he happens to be standing in the one spot where there's a window and so he's okay. And that is probably Buster Keaton's most famous stunt. It was a real, like, ha- a full weight wall that was falling down on top of him. And a bunch of the crew members actually walked off set because they didn't want to see what might happen. Because there was literally a nail in the ground, just a nail, telling him where he needed to stand when that thing went. And uh, you you see it ever so slightly grazes his arm. Yeah, and and truly he didn't care one way or another. Like this was kind of the end of his career with MGM. Like things were going poorly. No, no, this is when he was about to leave to go to MGM. Okay, like yeah. So it was, he kind of was like, yeah, let it happen. I yeah. mean, he knew he was going to do the stunt well, but he's like, I don't care about the risk. He said, he said uh, quote, I was mad at the time or I would have never done the thing. Yeah. Uh, but it, it, was, it is one of those impressive stunts that you see and you're like, whoa. And then you've seen it like, you know, in Rested Development yeah. and a couple other shows. Aladdin. Like that. Yeah. And it was that, it was, was it a hurricane? Was that the yeah? It's a hurricane. It was, it was hurricane? supposed to be a flood, but it ended up being a hurricane. They, that is reasons. where I'm like, oh, this movie's worth watching now because this I was going to say, is this movie anything but that? No, because this is two thirds setup, and then the last third is he really shows up, it and it's remarkable. like an ensemble movie rather than a Buster Keaton movie. I wonder if the studio just wanted to surround him with other people because I wanted him to be the highlight, and he just kind of showed up, and he got choked a lot or he got pushed around a lot <laughs> he does and i was just like okay and there's a love story but i didn't care but then we get to that final act i was like this is one of the best silent movie scenes made it's just too bad it's attached to this movie what? this was probably my bottom one what? on the list yeah but they did i was gonna say they, most of the budget was spent on that oh like, for sure like i think like because it's cool actual destruction happening part. yeah yeah they're they're building sets breakaway sets and they had uh, the flooding that they had to do and a lot of it. And even the part when he like he would get suspended on a cable mm-hmm. and they just whip him around. Like he's on he's holding onto a tree, the tree gets picked up. And I remember watching it going, How'd they do that in nineteen twenty eight? Right. But it's they literally had a cable on a crane and they were just flinging him around and he's just holding onto the tree for dear life. Uh and as Zach referenced earlier, this film is the film that inspired Steam Walt Disney's Steamboat Willie, mm-hmm. which was the first it was it was released six months later after this movie. Steamboat Bill came first. Yeah, Steamboat Bill came first and then Steamboat Willie. And it's considered the debut of Mickey Mouse. So if you like Mickey Mouse on Disney, it went to this. Thank thank Buster Keaton for that. Yeah, these movies are so old we're only now to Mickey Mouse. <laughs> <laughs> it's black crazy. and white Mickey Mouse. Yeah. Yeah. Zach, I don't know. How'd you feel about it? Uh for me, this was forgettable and i think it was sort of the oh we're gonna do this again right like mm-hmm. I, I when you look at the general i went that that is like a great example of this style of movie we're gonna have this big long action sequence all these crazy stunts um steamboat bill jr for me doesn't stand outside of the stunts right it, it's and, just that and i thought it would be a lot of stuff at water but that boat was docked no it really is not right so I, I was I was hoping, basically the general, but on water. Oh, yeah. same, yeah. So maybe that that's much, not much fair. Similar to that. This is basically a, kind of a Romeo and Juliet situation. Montagues and Capulets, 
and yeah. then there's a storm. Yeah. So I maybe I was expecting something different, but I didn't. If it was mid, for if me. you guys want something similar but something shorter, I recommend watching one week. It's a Buster Keaton it's short, like twenty minutes long. Yeah, barely yeah. that. All right, but it's mostly just. It's not the same story. That it's about this couple who's building a, a house in a box. Like they they get married, they go to this place, and there's a box waiting for them with instructions how to build a house. And it's mostly just stunts the entire time, including this same stunt when uh, kind of the the wall falls over him. It's much less elaborate, much less dangerous. All right, but he did that before. Okay, and that I'll check one. it out. Yeah, this feels like they were padding the runtime to make it a feature a little bit. Yeah, which is funny because then you know Sherlock Junior is only forty five minutes. Yeah, so which I even at times thought Sherlock Junior was a little long, and it's very short. See, and I I do like the romantic story in this one. I like how you sure. know, the interplay between the two. There's a couple scenes with the dad that make me chuckle every time I watch it. So yeah. overall, I like this one. Yeah, I, I will say like this is, is still entertaining for yeah. sure. No, it's still good. But if, if we're gonna, you know, but of the list, if we're gonna tear. It's not the recommendation. The, the Buster Keaton movies on this list, you know, tier one goes to the general, tier two goes to Sherlock Junior, and tier three goes to this one. I agree for me. Yeah. All right. All right. Our final movie on the list because we're in the 30s now. We're in the 30s. Talkies exist, they but do. we're still going silent with city lights. With the aid of a wealthy erratic tippler. <laughs> I love these words. What? It's a, it's a person who's content, constantly drunk. I looked that up. <laughs> a dewy-eyed tramp has fallen in love with a sightless flower girl, accumulates money to be able to help her medically. Yes. Grammar. This is... This is yes. This and this is, is uh, directed by Charlie Chaplin, written, produced, everything by Charlie Chaplin. Charlie Chaplin has fallen for a blind you can, this, you can find this one on HBO Max. Would you say YouTube. this was like his finesse? Like he knew what he was truly doing artistically at this yes, point. Yes, by this point, I mean, he was 40 years old when this was made. He looks older, much and, older. Yes, he is. And he's been doing this character for a while now. And he decided, even though talkies were all the rage, because the jazz singer had come out in 1927, this is 1931, and they were the studio kept saying, no, you need to make this a talkie. You need to make this a sound picture. Yeah. We need to expand the Tramp cinematic universe. And he said, no, I'm keeping <laughs> this silent. And, and it was a success, you know, because of his name. Well, in, in silent, quote unquote, he did add, like, there's synchronized sound effects in this one, which there is are, unusual. Yeah. And you don't hear that as often, but there's minor talking. Like, you can kind of hear some speeches at the beginning, but that's basically it. Yeah. But I, this is a classic motion picture. You can tell he poured his heart and soul into this film. It, it was a swan song, it felt. It you kind know, of it is. was the swan song for the dying breed. Well, of the he did. Film. I was going to say he had the great dictator after this, and that was that. There's more dialogue in that one, but I mean, there's a, a pretty famous speech. Yes, that's from yeah. 1940. So that's nine years after this yeah. movie. But this one has like the the classic boxing scene, which we yeah, all see. Oh, the boxing scene. <laughs> Hide behind so the ref fun. and all that. It's that so great. The choreography on that, I love that. And and it's it's it is a simple story. I want to clarify that. Well, it, this is a magical world where you can. You know, someone who's drunk recognizes you, and when they're not well, sober, you don't. Well, it's it's weird because the the tramp character, who's supposed to be the sort of bum, uh, is really the character who's put together compared mm. to like yes. this millionaire who is a bum. However, his luck is the worst. Everything that can go wrong does go wrong to the tramp. True. It, yes. Uh, always. And this is also the movie. He falls in love with this uh, blind girl who sells flowers, and I'm just I'm putting this out there because it's one of those things where I thought, oh man, these people are going to roll their eyes at this. This is a world, this simple, magical world is a place where, oh, you can find a newspaper ad that for curing blindness. Yeah. And uh, you just have enough money, you can do that. Yeah. And, you know, spoiler alert, she does get her sight back at okay, the end. Okay, but can and we talk about the end or can we not talk about the end? We can talk about the end. Sure. Does she fall in love with him or is, she, is he just a nice guy, a nice benefactor? Oh, Kent. Kent, your cold, dark heart. Dude, dude no, but I think... <laughs> in my, I watched that last scene. It is so uplifting. No, I it's uplifting, last but scene. I went... 
does she is she not attracted to him because he's Charlie Chaplin at forty? He looks like he's seventy years old. It's like the girl from the Lionel Richie Hello music yeah. video gets sight. <laughs> but they do. Okay, hold on. But they do leave it. They say hello, but it's a title card. But they do leave it ambiguous. They they definitely let. Well, in that way, it's beautiful. Yes, but at the same time, I love it because in that moment there is real emotion. It's like the kid going back to the kid. Yeah, where I start feeling like these real emotions before it's you know this hokey silent comedy whatever. Right. That moment really gets me almost every time right now. I was going to. So they're in love. I think they're in love. I, I think. <sighs> I hope so. I think she realized when she realized who he was, and he's going to tell her the truth, and they're going to be happy ever after. Yeah, in my mind. Because in this movie, he goes to prison wrongly, uh, because yeah. you know bad luck essentially. Yeah. And then when he comes back, she's cured because of him. And yeah, but I know this, we're kind of spoiling it, but still, I yeah. mean, it's yeah, we're spoiling some movies from you know hundred years ago. I'll be honest. Um, this one's only nine. You should ago. spoil uh, every one of these movies for yourself. Like when you're watching them, pause it and read the Wikipedia plot synopsis. Yeah, because you <laughs> catch may, yourself up. You may lose it a little bit. Yeah, because it's not about. See, I, I don't think. I think they're very easy to follow. I just think it's the attention span people have, where sure. it's like you have to you have to watch. We talked about you know many many takes uh, from directors. They want things. The part where he buys the flower from the the blind girl, mm-hmm. they shot it uh, three hundred and forty two times. What? Because he was not getting the emotion he wanted. He was not getting what he wanted. He ended up firing the girl, the blind girl. She wasn't yeah, really blind. Right. But he fired her. And then he got Recast another actress. It. And then realized she wasn't going to work. So then he rehired the original actress. Wow. Really? Yeah. yeah. Okay. It just didn't work out. The boxing match, uh, they had 100, ex- 100 extras. And it took four days to rehearse and then six days to shoot. Which the choreography there with just with how he's bouncing behind the ref mm-hmm. the way they do it it's just look it's just funny he gets a hit in every once in a it's while it's honestly that part makes me laugh every time Same. and i'm like this shouldn't be that funny but it just gets me he's kubrick huh and speaking of drama yeah, we, truly. we, we kind of i didn't mention this but during the gold rush he was going through uh, his marriage was falling apart Again, and, and this one, his mother died during the making oh, of the film. So it's like he has all these big traumas as he's making these films. I always felt so bad for him. But this was a huge success for Chaplin. It was one of his biggest hits of his career. I think. Would it you was, say this is the the one he's known for? Probably. It is my favorite of his. Yeah, the Modern Times also gets a lot. Modern of, Times. I, I didn't yeah. ask you guys to watch that one, but that's actually a really good one too. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Modern Times is fun, but this one was the highest grossing film in the United States in 1931. This was the big one. Yeah, yeah well, but the Parents Guide though, mm, go on, get a little spicy with the sis and nudity Ooh. here. Here's the two entries that are in IMDb's Parents Guide. A nude statue is shown for a long period of time. It's true. My wife actually walked into that part. Was nothing like, ses- a little scandalous. Nothing sexual at all is what it says after. And then the second entry says none. <laughs> <laughs> well, IMDb trivia has something to say, and it's kind of a downer. And 96 out of 107 people found this interesting. Oh, no. Oh, no. Everyone in this movie has been dead since 2007. <laughs> I saw that. Oh. And I went, wow. <laughs> no, the, I, I saw that fact for uh, the, the, the kid. Yeah. Was yeah. The, the five-year-old kid mm-hmm. uh, passed away in like 2014. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, oh, my. It made me realize every single person in every single one of these movies doesn't live anymore. So yeah. when I watch movies with my youngest, <laughs> she'll always say, are they still alive? I don't know why she asked this. Are they dead? And I'm like, no, this movie was made like five years ago. They're yeah. they're fine. And then I check, you know, uh, Google, are they still alive? Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's been dead in these movies. Wow. wow. We got Gilmer Toro had to say about this movie? Oh, no. I don't know. But Stanley Kubrick <laughs> oh. said it was one of his, his fifth among his top rated films. I can Orson see that. Welles said it was his favorite film of all. Huh. Um, Roger Ebert also loved it. And it's Charlie Chaplin's favorite, apparently. Yeah. It's one of his favorites of his career. Yeah. And I, I agree because I think it's a, well, yeah. truthfully. I think it's great. 
I enjoy this movie, but it really it's the boxing scene where it picks up for me. That's where I'm yeah. kind of like, I'm in all the way. The, this just reiterates, I, I prefer the Chaplin movies because of his character. Mm-hmm. The Born Yesterday character? Yeah. What, lovable loser. How he, lovable loser. Because Buster Keaton, um, though his stunts are way more impressive, he doesn't add much from a character standpoint. He's always deadpan, which you, know, you might say that that, that is interesting. Considering I find humor all of the, in that, yeah. The fantastical things that he faces and he does. But I think that Charlie Chaplin is so lovable. Um, as this, you know, this this tramp character that he continues to do. Um, so for me, I'll take still a, it's still by all means a ton of slapstick, but it's not super intense over the top action, right? Like it is with the Buster Keaton. But I, I just find uh, I find his movies very polished, which obviously took a lot of work, and his character quite enjoyable. I agree. Yeah, you're more in Charlie Chaplin as well. I like Buster Keaton because of the general. Okay. The general puts him over, even though he's made some of the bigger stinkers on this list. See, I wouldn't call any of them stinkers. Like I said, I love all these movies. Yeah. That's why I put it out there. So this this was my sampler platter playlist where I just, when people want to say, hey, I want to get into silent movies, this is what I'd hand them. And once again, just to run through them real quick in chronological order, The Kid, Nosferatu, Sherlock Jr., The Gold Rush, Phantom of the Opera, The General, Metropolis, Sunrise, Steamboat Bill Jr., and City Lights. All right. Um, all but the Chaplin ones are found on YouTube. The Chaplin ones are found on HBO Max. Yeah. And a lot of these so you can the find on Amazon. A lot of the Buster Keaton ones you can actually find on, on Amazon Prime Amazon as well. Prime, sure. But yeah. Joel, I hate you for this, but I like silent movies. Yay! And I'm going to watch more. You can give me 10 more and I'll watch them. Uh, next year? Uh, yeah, it'll be about a year from now. Yeah, it sounds about right. Sure. But yeah, a lot I've of these been, are pretty short I, and pretty I've easy been, to watch. Uh, interested. I saw there's a Joan of Arc one that apparently yes. is quite interesting to yeah. watch. There's uh, some really good emotions in that yeah. one. Yeah. So, but, but there are some other ones I'm interested in as well. Oh, great. Well, thank you. And, th- and yeah. listener, let us know if, if we've piqued your interest in any of these silent movies. If you've seen any of these, let us know. We want to hear from you. And if you end up watching them, please let me know on their own because it, it brings me joy when I, can, when I can share movies with people, especially in a sampler platter format like this. Just don't take a year, okay? <laughs> I might. All right. Before we go, we'd like to thank our patrons. So from the I Am The Listener category, we have Lady Terry Finley, Jennifer Kilkowski, Braden Winterton, Alicia Bass, Sir and Madam Hicks, Adam and Rachel Crump, Rocky and Steph. Those are the precious moments, too. They don't come back again. Scott Sprague, mm-hmm. Juice the Cooler, King Swallow, Andrew Dancing Through the Fire, Casey Cummings, Ryan and Marley, Debbie Foster, Dave Kelly, and Angelo Plotz. And from the Bacon Council, we have Nicole sitting in the Sinbin Hale, the one, the only, Chris Anderson, Shannon West, Johnny English, the Brick, Stephen, everyone's favorite, Ross, Her Royal Highness, Jessica Terry, our favorite couple, the Madsons, Star Wars expert, Kyler, Spencer Myers, Josh from Rebel One TV, and Beaker! Thank you, patrons. Thank you, patrons. You are the nose to our Feratu. <laughs> what, what about your nose? Do anyone want just a Feratu? Uh, uh, no, you want no the nose I would never Feratu. want just a Feratu. Yeah. Hold the nose. <laughs> Nos. <gasps> Wait. <laughs> Nos Feratu. Guys, I just thought of a sequel for the Fast and Furious franchise. <laughs> Starring Buster Keaton. <laughs> but if you want to find me, you can find me at 76Joel on Twitter, or you can find me performing with Quickwits. They perform at the Midvale Performing Arts Center, including on November 18th. We'll be doing Bacon Cell Night at Quickwits. Yes, we will. For more details, go to qwcomedy.com or go to the Quickwits Facebook page. If you want to find me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Kenny3DD. You can read my movie reviews at showdownshowdown.com. If you'd like to connect with me, you can do so on Twitter and Instagram at Tumbling Mustard. But more importantly, make sure you're following Bacon Sale. Please like that Facebook page and go to at Bacon Sale on Twitter and Instagram. While you're doing that, visit tpublic.com slash bacon sale, where you can get yourself a bunch of fun merch. Uh, you know, I feel like we're on the verge of a new design coming out. I don't know if that's true or not. Working on stuff, maybe. I, f- I feel like it could be true. 
tpublic.com slash bacon sale. And then if you like what's going on here and you want to support us further, visit patreon.com slash bacon sale, where support starts at just $3 a month. We have all sorts of fun benefits, almost weekly bacon bits. We've been putting some videos up there. We recently did a review of a Burger King burger. We should do that. It's pretty fun. Patreon.com slash bacon sale. So until next time. Pancake pie. Is this is like a pet name. Benji's oh, it name. is a pet name. But oh, I snuck in a little bit of horror here. <laughs> <laughs> Don't Use make contact with Zach. <laughs> no, I'll bite it. He's man. like a judgy mom. Ice creams. <laughs> what I'm saying is, I'm putting my heart on the table. Please don't stomp on it, Kent. Sherlock Jr. Sherlock Jr. Falling asleep at the movies. What? Yeah. On this list? Really inconsistent. Stinkers? Buster Keaton hates tall men with mustaches. Fine. Put this, put, put this edit. back. Can't edit. Do this. work, Kent. Oh. It could have been asbestos. It was the twenties. It's true. Oh, yeah. you have a slight birthmark around your eye. <laughs> Let's torch and pitchfork you, but, but like a little bit more of a rar. The machine men. Several kissing scenes. These movies are so old, we're only now to Mickey Mouse. We need to expand the Tramp cinematic universe. Oh, Kent. Kent, your cold, dark heart. I'm taking back that that date. Take it, Take back. it back. Owning that date. Hold the nose. Nos. <laughs> Wait. Blood is thicker than water. We're not family. Is there a Thanksgiving food that sounds like Zach 